0: Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Activist Lawyer. I'm here in the studio with Jack.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Hi, Jack. Hi. And we are delighted to be joined by Owen O'Sullivan. Hi, Hello. Owen.
2: How are you? How's things? How are
0: you? We are great and we are super delighted because you're here in person. I know,
1: that's sort of five <laughs> episodes ago or something. That's yeah, it's time. absolutely
2: brilliant to actually do something in person again. Like, yeah, it feels yeah, great. Like.
0: It's fantastic. It makes such a difference to us because the phone and, and Zoom in all is great, but it's just so nice to be in our lovely studio here and it's been, been a while, hasn't it Jack? Yeah, it's
1: been a while and you don't need to worry about Wi-Fi connections or <laughs> phone connections. Thank goodness either. for that. i breaking anyway.
0: up. <laughs> 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 we will get to Owen in a second, but just for our listeners, a little bit of an introduction, Owen O'Sullivan is a solicitor with KOD Lyons. Owen qualified as a solicitor in December 2017 and is part of the criminal defence and prison law team as well as the children's court and child care team. As a trainee he worked on a number of groundbreaking prison law high court cases including the recent successful challenge to single separation in Oberstown Detention Centre. Owen has experience in working on criminal trials in the circuit central and special criminal courts in Dublin, as well as around the country circuits. Owen completed a Master's in Law from Trinity College Dublin in 2013, studying modules based on employment law, arbitration, dispute resolution and criminal law. His dissertation focused on criminal assaults during sports matches and was entitled An Analysis of Sports, Violence and the Law with specific reference to the GAA and whether there is a need to introduce or modify current laws or bylaws on the matter. Owen has a keen interest in criminal law, juvenile justice, child care law, human rights law and dispute resolution. Wow. <laughs> Welcome Owen. I'm very boring. <laughs> clearly <laughs> are. <Yeah. laughs> just no, not of interest editor. there. Like I know I Jack is just so. Here going, oh my God, yeah. the dream. Yeah. Um, well, look, thank you so much again for coming to our, our little studio here. And I will say that we had one of your colleagues join us not so long ago. Absolutely. That was Stephen Kerwin, who came on from KOD Lions, the same firm, and spoke about his work mainly in asylum and, and immigration. But anyway, um, just to start us off, Owen, and to stop me talking and rambling on here, um, tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you got into working in this area. You can start from wherever you want. <laughs> yeah, so
2: um, I suppose I, I kind of I had, kind of felt from a very early age that I was going to get involved in law when I was going through school. Um, and then I ended up applying for economics, politics and law in DCU. Mm. Um, I suppose my background, uh, my mum would have been involved in law. She used to work in the GPO in Dublin and she was yeah. in HR. Um, so she would have kind of been involved in the WRC. Uh, I would have kind of found that quite interesting and mm. I suppose my dad's background wasn't so much a legal background. He farmers from uh, South West Kerry in the Glen and Ballinskelligs and uh <laughs> came up to Dublin and became civil servants. Um, so from an early age, I suppose there would have been a bit of legal talk in the house. Um, so mm. I went to DCU and done economics, politics and law back in 2009 uh, until 2012 uh, and then I went on from there to complete a master's in Trinity College in 2013. And I suppose during my time in DCU and Trinity, I would have focused mainly on the criminal elements okay, okay. of the degrees. Um, I would have just always found them a lot more interesting to read and study rather than the conveyancing or the oh, yeah. the yeah. kind of The riveting stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So... Um, I completed that in 2013, uh, I was lucky enough then at that stage to apply for an internship in the DPP's office yeah. through Trinity College, and I got that and completed that for about four months, um, working in their um, prosecution policy and research unit um, with the gang in there. So, it would have been a lot of legal research into kind of case law and this kind of stuff yeah. like that, like. Uh, and then I done what I suppose most people did in around 2012, 13 and 14. I went on a doll uh, <laughs> for about five or six months. Uh, and in that five or six months, I got my first few FE1s out of the way.
1: Good, good which work. Was
2: good use of time. Yeah. It
1: was. Um,
2: they are without a shadow, without the worst exams. So any. depressing. Oh, stop. If yeah. I, they sit them in the red cow. If I ever get an invite to the red cow for anything, it's just been automatically oh. thrown into the bin. I cannot go same. back to that place again. <laughs> There's just fear and tears i think all over that place (laughs) but uh i got them out of the way while i was on the doll um and then uh most of my college years i would have worked as a postman um which was great the best job i ever had but i did after i finished the fe ones i fired around a lot of internship applications to Uh everywhere Mm -hmm. uh just to get my foot in the door and get some sort of experience i I sent about 40 or 50, mm. and I think two got back in contact oh, with no. me, uh, <laughs> and one of them happened to be KOD Lions, ah, so they gave me a two-week internship, I think it was at the start of May or end of May, and uh, after the two weeks, they realised I wasn't a complete Egypt <laughs> and offered me a traineeship. Only uh, took them two weeks. Sometimes. Only took them two weeks, yeah. They still haven't copped them in, in complete idiot. yet, and I'm there eight years, like, so... Um, but they offered me a traineeship Then that October So I went back to work As a postman for the summer And uh, Came and started with them As a trainee in October And uh, Haven't left so There
0: since Wow <laughs> There since
2: Yeah oh, So. Here.
0: Well, that is a real varied kind of background, and I'm just—it's just funny there. You've just taken me back to the red kite, which I'm <laughs> going to move on from that <laughs> that experience. Um, but you're also as well. You, you said you went to DCU there. Mm. I, you've, I've seen on LinkedIn and different social media you've been back. Um, maybe is it training or kind of mentoring students?
2: Yeah. Or? So. Um my old professor in DCU, Yvonne Daly, she would have lectured us in a lot of the criminal aspects uh, of law, law and evidence. I, I remember doing Moot Court in front of her before. Um, and I suppose when people get, when they begin their law degrees, very few of them actually progress to get into the criminal law mm. area of it. A lot of them go to the big corporate firms yeah. and. You know, they get involved in the kind of banking and taxing and other areas of law. Whereas I think the criminal law heads, if we can call them that, mm-hmm. are a lot more niche. Um, so I would have been one of the few who would have completed the economics, politics and law degree from that time that okay. went on to do criminal law. So myself and Yvonne have always kind of kept in touch um, in regards to certain uh, research she would have been doing, such as the, um, sh- she's done a lot of work on the right to silence and guard Station interviews. So we would have been involved in that. Um and uh, she's always asked me to come back and have a chat with mm-hmm. the students just yeah. basically about how you go from <laughs> becoming a or g- joining DCU and doing a degree like this to mm-hmm. uh, qualifying as a solicitor and uh, practising on a daily basis, doing criminal defence, because uh, yeah. there is very few of us. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great to go back to the college. Um, mm-hmm. I do feel really old going back to the college now, though. <laughs> it is exactly 10 years since I graduated, which only dawned on me at the last chat. So. Oh,
0: you're a baby. I know, uh, it's
1: been since you graduated, so... Um, moving on. No <laughs> comments, so Sarah. In today, Jack, no, okay? No comments. not like me. You, yeah. No, but actually, that, that is quite weird, and I, I never noticed it before, but in my class when I was doing my master's, I'd say over half of the people that I was speaking to wanted to do criminal, mm. but then when you're in university, the firms that come and do the open days and yeah. that they speak about within class are, are always the big corporate mm. firms in, in Belfast, and then... The training contracts that they offer obviously are, are yeah. v- very, very good. So then most of those people who wanted to do criminal and who had their eyes set on criminal end up just going into yeah. the corporate world. So yeah, Exactly, Similar yeah. No, and it's look. the
2: same down down yeah. south. They, they get all the kind of bigger firms in. They all come in and they all mm. give you the big spiel, of the bells and whistles about the offices and yeah. the great opportunities. And they pay uh, your fees. It's a massive yeah. thing no, that so the fees are paid and mm. you're on a good wage. Um but I did. Before I went to KOD Lines, I did interview for one of the big firms. I won't say who it was, mm-hmm. but I didn't get the job. And the feedback was, "We think you'd be suited to crime." So I was like, oh, "Okay, fair you enough."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Grant, right? You know. We think you'd be suited to crime, <laughs> <laughs> not criminal. Law. I was going to oh, say oh, yeah,
2: criminal the law. <laughs> yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> well, that goes I may have out. took a few too many free pens. So <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, an interesting area to work and I dabbled in it a little bit. But how do you do you think people stay in it for long or do you think because you were just mentioning sometimes you're, you're on call? I think you said you're on call last night. Oh, it? Yeah. So, I mean, that's very tough going. And I guess you're put on a road and I know you share that with other um, you know, colleagues within your office. But um, does that become draining or tiring or you know is it something you just get used to you know receiving a call at like three in the morning or it
2: it is it is a tough job um and the the on-call aspect of it is it's very important i Mm. mean you need to have solicitors on call 24 7 because it's not as if crime stops at half five and goes home for the day and then starts again at nine in the morning um so you need to have the access to a solicitor to advise people in a station Mm -hmm. uh, or for any sort of emergency purpose so um, it just comes hand in hand um, mm-hmm. I think when you're working in crime um, it can be quite draining sometimes and some of the stuff you're dealing with can be quite heavy yeah. so you need a good outlet you need a good release um, mm-hmm. I play a uh, good bit of five aside now at the moment and would have played a lot of Ga and Hurling throughout the years that was my release to go yeah. training smash up a few fellas and then i will be fine again i will be ready to go back to work after <laughs> that Like, um, and it'd be right as rain I know I had a particularly difficult week this week and went playing five aside on Wednesday and Thursday morning I was back happy brand new um, but it, it is it is quite a difficult area to work mm-hmm. in it does take a kind of certain person with a certain strength about them to yeah. uh, deal with certain aspects of it um, particularly okay. some of the cases that you're yeah. you're dealing with, they can be quite heavy. Um, you know, I yeah. won't get into them, but like it, people can imagine the the higher higher level ones, the murders and yeah. you know, high sexual offences and other kind yeah, of aspects sure. of it. You just have to, like anything else, you have to remember it's a job, uh, and you have to get on with your job and mm-hmm. do it to the best of your ability for your clients because they're the one who are relying on you to look
1: after them. Absolutely. So. We had a couple of guests on here that talked about the difficulty in... Stopping at the door, obviously, when you leave work, yeah. and not think about it—it's impossible. Not to a lot of think people working
0: it. in human rights, and I suppose criminal justice as well. It's the same thing, and I know we had guests on in here who work in criminal, and I mean some of the stuff they're dealing with—you know—it's hard not to become emotionally attached, especially a lot of the legacy stuff in, in mm. Northern Ireland, and they'd be involved in inquiries and all the rest. But um well, your your background is is very very just as as your work is, and
1: so obviously following the death of Ashley Murphy and other ongoing legal matters that. are in the public eye and on social media I've seen a lot of warnings about people posting on social media about legal ongoing legal matters and I've obviously had warnings from family members be careful what you post on social media but reading some of the articles uh, about the work that you do I've seen the term sub judice" <laughs> um and what, what is it because you've seen the warnings about social media posting on social media but why should people be aware about it? Well I suppose like subdue to say directly translates
2: as under a judge. Mm. So mm-hmm. the matter is now for judicial consideration. Um, look, the world we live in now at the moment, social media is huge. It's involved in every aspect yep. of people's lives, and everything is so instant. Um, I spo- like I know one of the best bits of advice I ever got uh, was from uh, Judge Bernadette Owens down in uh, Ireland, in the Republic. She said to me before that everything is so instant now so listeners need to take a step back mm-hmm. look at mm-hmm. what they're doing before they press send on emails what whatever it is that yeah. they're doing um and I kind of try and carry that across and it it comes it, it filters in here um obviously the the circumstances around um Ashley Murphy's um tragic killing was uh awful and very highly emotive for a lot yeah. of people um not just in just this country but around the world mm-hmm. um a person has been uh, arrested and is now uh, before the courts in relation to it um and the, the courts system and the judicial system as well as their defense team and uh the the family of this girl the justice system has to be allowed to conduct its business um prop- properly and in an unbiased manner mm-hmm. people putting up various kind of posts on twitter and social media be it pictures identifying people, maybe offering descriptions of their background, their previous background, um, other information, and not only about the person who who was arrested, but probably witnesses involved in the cases or anything in relation to it. It's gotten to a stage now where when matters are coming uh, for trial uh, in uh, Dublin that it's... Almost second nature for judges to give the usual warnings to a jury that they would when they're coming to their decisions, but they're including a warning now not to go and do their own independent research or whatever, or go onto social media because of what's been put up there. And the last thing that um, a person would want is to be hauled before a judge in the Central Criminal Court in Dublin, in the High Court, to explain whatever post it is that they had put mm. up that may have had a very negative impact on how they can conduct their business in the yeah. trial. That can have, as I said, a negative impact on the constitutional rights of the person who's been arrested and is before the court. It can also have an impact on the access to justice for the, the family of this yeah. person who's been killed. So I don't think people appreciate that. And once they click send, it's out of your control. It's gone. Yeah. Even if you're trying to delete it later, it doesn't mean someone can take a screenshot of it and send it around various WhatsApp groups. Yeah. Um, the court's... Um, definitely clamped down on it when it came to the identification of uh, the boy A and boy B online from the Anastasia Creasel yeah, uh, case that's right. uh, and they ended up before the circuit court and were re- receiving suspended sentences and very serious oh. uh, convictions and again those convictions are something that uh, follow people through life and can have various consequences for them if they want to travel or gain employment they're not going to shake that off anytime soon and a lot of them said they didn't realise that what they were doing would have had the impact that it did and yeah. had them before mm-hmm. the courts. So I suppose it was very highly emotive at the time. People mm-hmm. need to take a step back and I suppose realise that the system has to be allowed the time yeah. to do its work in an yeah. unbiased manner, uh so that, you know, whatever conclusion it comes to it's done as appropriately and fairly as mm-hmm. possible for, for
1: all, all sites, involved. Yeah, for exactly. all parties. And yeah. Just what's seen as normal social media like Facebook, Instagram, or is it as you said about sending stuff around WhatsApp? Because you hear about a lot of that. Is it does include WhatsApp as well? It would be anything, Mm -hmm. anything at all. Like I
2: mean, we've all been on WhatsApp groups where messages are being forwarded, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. who knows what truth is in them? But it could have a negative impact. Yeah. Yeah. So like, people are going to talk about it, and like, it's no problem. And I know it's going to be written about in the newspapers and the. You know everything is like it's kept pr- appropriate. Yeah, but sometimes people can overstep the yeah. mark in what they're putting online. And look, people get highly emotive about these things. They can be very yeah. passionate. Um, but sometimes you just need to take a step back, consider it before you click send on yeah. anything like that. Because once you do, it's out of your control. It's out of your
0: hands. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, that's. It's just. Um, we have to be so mindful, um, and just as well. I guess <laughs> moving on to, to something else that we we haven't touched on in a while is COVID nineteen and the the whole pandemic. Um. I know we were in contact here with a few local um, practitioners who would do criminal and um, they were briefly, you know, telling us how it impacts their work and, and barristers with everything being kind of clogged up now or being either they're expected to be somewhere with very little notice. And then you have the whole Zoom activity. How did the pandemic affect your work, Owen, in terms of, you know, Kind of a practical, the practical side of things.
2: Well, I suppose like everywhere else, the country went into shutdown uh, mm. March 2020, and nobody knew what was happening for a little while.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the courts went into shutdown. I think everyone was tr- yeah. just trying to get to grips with what was going on. Um, there was a lot of delays. There was a lot of mm. b- block adjournments of cases. A lot of hearings didn't get on. A lot of trials were cancelled or moved. Um, and I suppose, thankfully, now we're at the stage where a lot of changes have been made. Uh, I suppose that benefit the criminal justice system in any event um, such as a a much wider use of video links between the court service and the prison but also between practitioners and seeing their clients so you're nearly able to see them a lot quicker than Mm. you would have if you were booking visits to go in and see them physically Um, and there is uh, I suppose an emphasis now at the moment that everyone is trying to get as much on as they can, they've started to use Crow Park as a court down in
1: uh, Dublin,
2: yeah so there was uh, a particular trial we had where the numbers were just way too big to fit them all into the CCJ building, right. so they sent it down to Crow Park. <gasps> yeah, I don't know so it, like it's a great setup mm-hmm. um, that they have, and it's just a way to kind of clear this backlog for a lot of big trials. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, now we're at the stage where things are moving on. Um, one of the n- problems I have with it is I do a lot of work with juveniles, mm-hmm. so. My kind of area would be a lot of criminal defense, but mainly with juveniles in the children's court in Smithfield in Dublin. And um, at the time, there was a pause on kind of Gardie charging people with offences. They were all told to summons them for a while um, because they, I think they didn't really want the interaction. They wanted okay. to, this was at the very start now, yeah. where they didn't want too much interactions. There was that was the case, but then there was a pause in the summons is being issued as well. Right. Um, so now there's a huge backlog coming through of I don't know how many tens of thousands of summonses of people that are now coming before the courts, and not to say that that's fine for adults like it's it's it can be quite uh, difficult for people when they're trying to deal with some criminal matter hanging over their heads that's been delayed for so long. But particularly when it comes to juveniles, the onus has to be that it has to be done as quickly as possible, particularly for some yeah. of them that might be creeping up to their eighteenth birthday, um, and that's my. Bugbear. we're seeing a lot more of the summons coming in now for uh, alleged offences from when they were mm. children and now they're 18 Transition, 19, 20 yeah. 21 even right. you know or even further and they're coming into courts having lost the benefit of, of the Children's rights. Act in yeah. Dublin which again is something I have a bit of a difficulty with that you have this uh, act that protects you and offers you as a person who's assumed to have committed a crime these benefits and safeguards and protections under the Children's mm. Act uh but the hour after your 18th birthday, that's all. It's gone, you know. Um,
0: God, that's, I never thought of that. It doesn't, take, you know. it
1: doesn't take into consideration special circumstances. It's no, it's d- it's it's
2: date. It's, 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 day, it's gone. So one of the one, one of I think the most important aspects of the Children's Act is it's a Section 75 hearing, and basically a Section 75 hearing is where if a child is charged with an offence that could be indictable and sent to the circuit court. Um, and the directions come back from the director of public prosecutions to say that it is something that they want to go to the circuit court you're at, you can ask the judge in the children's court to fix a six, section 75 hearing so you can argue with them to keep it in the district okay. court all right so like if you're an adult you're charged with an offense it's trial on indictment you're just looking at the charge sheet you don't find any you're, you're not able to put forward anything mm-hmm. it's the directions of the directions this is where it's going when you're a child if you're charged with an offense that can be dealt with on indictment you are given an opportunity to put forward the age, maturity and any other circumstances in relation to the child that might be relevant to mm-hmm. the case, to ask the judge to keep it in the children's court, even though it is a serious okay. offence. Yeah. Um, because I suppose when you're dealing with children, there's my own view from dealing with them for the last few years is there's no such thing as a bad kid. Yeah. There's just a kid that's had a bad time, you know, or there's some circumstances yeah. that has led to them to being there. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, my own view, that has to be outlined to a judge so that they know kind of where this may be coming from and give them an opportunity to to, to deal with their matters in a, I suppose, more minor setting in mm-hmm. the district court rather than open them up to the much harsher peni- penalties in the circuit court. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, there's a Section 15A drugs matter. Okay. If a person is found in possession with drugs over the value of €13,000, it's automatically indictable. You go Mm. to the circuit court and there's a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years, uh, which can be mitigated down depending on the circumstances. But you're an adult, that's where you go. Mm. In the children's court, if a a young person is caught with drugs over the value of €13,000, they're charged with this offence. Of course, the directions are this is only indictable, so it's indictable. But you get to argue with the judge, not argue with the judge, but put across your child your. Uh, client's case to keep it in the children's courts so mm. that uh, perhaps they might be given a chance so if you have some poor kid who may have racked up a hundred euros of a drugs debt
1: yeah
2: uh, from the local in the area who's told go and pick up school bag at point a and bring it to point b and the guards stop him this kid has never been in trouble in his life hasn't you know come to anyone's attention and probably won't ever again mm-hmm. after something like this happens the benefit of Section 75 hearing is you can get it kept in the district court if that's the decision of the judge. They engage with probation. They might even be given a chance to be left without a conviction on the mm-hmm. record. Mm-hmm. You know? huge difference. A huge difference. A so huge yeah. difference. And so
0: what's the likelihood of it? Ha- I mean, is it common that it does happen?
2: The That matters like that get kept? Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be. Um, uh, I've had clients where it has been kept and Mm. they actually have been left without conviction on the records which is amazing going forward for Mm. likes of travel and you know employment for something as big as that and it's a the only way i could describe them and i have described them as this in front of the judges is they're one hit wonders they're not going to come to the attention again (laughs) this is their lesson that Mm. has been learned you know um and that's why that's such an important aspect of the children's act but the minute you turn 18 that's gone you're no longer entitled to that section 75 hearing even if you offence is supposed to have been committed when you were 15 16 17 so that's something i have a really big problem
1: with and so
0: that's happening now That's obviously. happening now with the delays from Oh yeah. yeah. gosh that's so unfair it's one of those mm-hmm.
1: things you don't even think of COVID, uh, obviously COVID affects the economy it affects health but these yeah. things it, it affects and go, goes on notice really and yeah. i wonder
0: would justice like the department of justice or anything you know open up i don't know some kind of well, debate l- around this because it's such a big impact.
2: Hopefully. I, I know myself and a couple of my colleagues who are fantastic advocates in the Children's Court are yeah. looking at potential challenges to the yeah. fact that you can't have this hearing uh, once you turn 18. It seems to discriminate against a certain particular amount, particular people. A
0: cohort of people. Exactly. Who's happened to be around when this pandemic struck oh and yeah, impacted exactly. their mood. Exactly,
2: but even sometimes not even when the p- pandemic was around there were still
0: previously huge delays, delays in matters yeah. coming
2: through the JLO system um, and unfortunately they end up before the courts after they're 18 and there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can That's say awful. to, to mm. try and argue to keep it, just like someone who's an adult, you're not allowed to give any sort of background in relation to them to ask a judge to consider keeping it in, the, wow. in a district court um so that is something that really bugs me i think yeah. the we i think it it should be a case that pe- oh, i don't know our our, our legislature should yeah. have a look at the children's Absolutely. act and see how we can adapt yeah. it it's even just something as simple as saying you have the benefit of this act yeah. if you're alleged to have committed an offense before you're 18 mm-hmm. for the entirety of the case proceedings you yeah. know as, um, simple as that but simple it would make such
0: a huge impact on people's lives you know
2: and and it's not just section 75 things there's other kind of aspects of it that um are gone when you turn 18 anonymity is gone sure. um and i suppose mandatory engagement with probation is also gone now i know mm. the judges uh, do take on board uh, that there were juveniles at the time and would probably order a probation report mm. in any event but that mandatory aspect of it is gone like you know so mm. um and just from something as easy as changing the the, the the Act to yeah. saying this will benefit you for the entirety of the proceedings yeah. if
1: an offense was committed when you were a child, yeah, yeah. you, you know? would think once the alleged act happens it, it kind of stops at that age mm. until until it's resolved you you would think it's nearly common sense you, so you should nearly it. be
2: seen to treat the person at the time of the offense, yes yeah, yeah. rather than where they
1: where they are now you yeah obviously one of the topics that I was super interested in was the relationship between sports and law. So reading your dissertation title and how it spoke about uh, criminal assaults in law, Wh- what's the ins and outs of that? Because obviously there's rough and tumble on, on the field, but when and how does that spill over into a criminal act and, and off the field then?
2: Yeah, so when I was in uh, Trinity College, um, we had to do a dissertation and I think the hardest part of doing a dissertation is trying to find out what you want to do it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was obviously I'm mad about sports uh, and I wanted to get into crime so I thought there might be some sort of way of m- kind of marrying the two mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of remember a couple of incidents where people ended up for the courts as a result of fights on the pitch yeah. or whatever happened on the pitch between two people and um, it was really interesting to look into it and I suppose basically um, if an incident happens on the pitch that is both outside of the playing rules of the game and the playing culture of the game, then you're potentially liable, both criminally and civilly, if Mm -hmm. a person wants to take an action against Mm -hmm. you, to the outcome of what that is. So if I can perhaps give an example. Um, In Hurling, uh, you're implicitly consenting to pulling, dragging, you know, shoulder barging each other, kind of um, bumping into each other, like, kind of, like bashing into each other a lot <laughs> and then there might be the odd uh, pull of the hurley on the ground across the legs when the ball is there and yeah. that sort of stuff or if you're going up to catch a ball uh, they might pull across the hand like mm-hmm. going for the ball you kind of implicitly consent to all of that and that's all within the rules and kind of within the playing culture and I suppose playing culture wise even if it's off the ball your opponent might give you maybe a bit of a dig at the the, the hurley into your ribs or something like yeah. you know it's not the biggest thing in the world but it's kind of part of the playing culture if somebody decides to off the ball completely bash you with the hurley and cause you serious harm then that's outside of the playing rules and that's outside of the playing culture and that's when you can expose yourself to potentially being before the criminal courts um if you take it from a football side of view if you're there's an off the ball punch someone's jaw's broken um then there's a lot of people end up before the courts there Mm. and um it's it can i suppose have a devastating effect on both the person who's hurt but also the person who gets involved in it. We've all been involved in sports teams and kind of been in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle when you're playing against your local rivals and things are getting tough and someone said something about your parents or someone said something about whoever um, and you get really stuck into it but um, there is that line you can't cross that line Um, and I think people are starting to learn it a little bit more now because I think back in the day, there, there was a few videos on YouTube that I looked up uh, f- when I was doing a dissertation. And one of them is a, a great video of Paul O'Shea hitting Dinny <laughs> Allen a crack across the jaw. And he floors him in front of the referee. Yeah. And the referee doesn't even book them. He gets the two of them up to
1: shake hands, move on. And they were grand. like, And it was a cracker of a punch that he hit him. And I was thinking back, actually, dad was showing me, a, a, it was an FA Cup game or something. And the goalkeeper caught the ball. And. Ten seconds later, after the goalkeeper caught the ball, the player ran in and absolutely smashed him. And supposedly that was part of the rules back then. Broke the oh, goalkeeper's yeah. jaw. The goalkeeper went off on a stretcher, came back on ten minutes later, and not even a free kick yeah. was given. Like it's crazy looking back.
2: And like that's that's what it was back then. Like, but but now I think we're in a different world. People have are so reliant on their employment, mm-hmm. their jobs. Like if someone gets a broken jaw and is out of work for three months with wires in their jaw, trying to get themselves back to normal. Like I mean, yeah. They had like they're yeah. they're. I'd be very annoyed if I yeah. was in that position. Like, um, yeah. so unfortunately, once you kind of cross that, both playing rules and playing culture of whatever sport yeah. it is, you're exposing yourself to potentially mm. end before the courts.
1: And it's so easy to get lost uh, once you step over the line onto the field. It's kind of nearly like you're in your own world, and mm. you forget that there is consequences outside the field. And when you're playing against your rivals, and a fight starts, you forget. Hold on, I need to mm. take a step back here. And and I think
2: everybody knows. Everybody knows that person on your team who's the nicest fella you'll ever meet in your entire life. But once he crosses that white line, he's a demon. Like, yeah, yeah, you know.
1: And then the crowd as well—they don't mind. No, not at all. Yeah. They're yeah. jumping on the field or making sure they are shouting to. Well, a you look—you
2: look at. The, I think was it the recent game. Tyrone and Armagh, with oh. murder at it. Oh. Yeah, oh, I know, heard yeah. that being discussed several
0: times in the <laughs> 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 office. Great game. <laughs> <laughs> a fantastic game. Jack is Armah oh. and three. on, fair play. The girlfriend's Tyrone. Yeah, howdy, First time, first time. Met and,
1: uh, at, the, at the game, and I came out of that game very, very happy that I didn't. But uh, uh, nice uh, so most of our listeners are young, aspiring, either lawyers or students who want to get into the law. So, would you have any advice for them coming into the world of law from sure. your point of view? I, I gave a good
2: bit, I gave a good few talks in DCU, um, to a lot of students, and um, I really enjoy talking to them because I think people like ourselves, when we're in these positions, passing on that information about how how you got there is a massive benefit to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime I go in and talk to them, the first thing I always say to them is, enjoy yourself in college. Like, enjoy your time there. Get stuck into the societies, the socks, Mm -hmm. the events. Uh, Enjoy your studies. Um, And then once you're finished your degrees, have a really good think about what you want to do next. Mm -hmm. In a number of areas, if you have any itch to go travelling, travel. If you have any itch to work abroad somewhere else, go and do it. And then if you're coming back to study to become a solicitor, fine. That's great. You'll have it out of your system. Because once you get on that kind of wheel that is the FE1s and all mm. that, or even going to the Kings in, it's very difficult to get off. And yeah. it's very intense. And you want to try and get it done as quick as possible to get qualified as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um and I suppose the, yeah, the FE ones are the worst exams I ever sat in the entire <laughs> you life. You really hate them. I really hated them. And I come back to the Red Cow again, I'm never going into that <laughs> building. Darn Red Even cow. when I'm on the Lewis going past it, next stop Red Cow. Oh. <laughs> if
0: you get a wedding invite to the, oh no, <laughs> to the Red Cow, you won't be going. Oh no, it's gone in the
2: bin. Um, <laughs> but uh, like the next thing I'd say to them is have a good think about what area of law you want to work into. Don't just apply, I suppose, all over the place to various Offices and all, it's it's a completely different employment uh, market at the moment to when I came out of college. When I came out of college, you had to take what you got because there were so few traineeships at the time being offered that if you were given one, you you took it with two hands and you ran. Now people are crying out for trainees. Mm -hmm. There's so many roles for solicitors. There's so many roles for paralegals, legal executives, anything to do with law that it's just, it, it is a completely different market, so it's a good time to be coming into it. Mm. Have a think about what area of law you want to get into. You don't want to do something that you hate. I love crime. I love um, the fact that I rarely ever sit behind a desk for more than mm. two or three hours a day when I'm doing good. my paperwork. I love being in court, um, on my feet, advocating for my clients, having the back and forth with the guards or the judge or mm. whoever. Um there's a real i think anybody who works in crime because it is quite intense there's a real camaraderie with my like a lot of people around my vintage that we all kind of look after each other and you know it's uh, it's a good place to be and mm-hmm. i could not see myself doing anything else yeah. um and I, I wouldn't i wouldn't change it for the world um but Crime isn't suitable to everybody. Some people want to do the immigration. Mm-hmm. The I'd say the thrill of that phone call to a client who've you got, who you've gotten citizenship for mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Some people want to get involved in PI, MedNeg. Have a really good think about where you want to go and then try your best to get internships um, in these placements because I think that's the best way that an employer is going to see what you're like and yeah. whether they can work with you. We run um, the DCU Intra Placement Program in KOD Lions and we get... Students in for basically an Erasmus year, basically a placement year, uh-huh. uh, in the middle of their degrees. I think it's in their third year degree. We've done it for like the last four years, and um, they've been brilliant. That's and brilliant. some of them have been offered traineeships, and we hopefully have more coming in in September. That's and it so gives important. them a real yeah. grounding uh, moving forward with their their legal careers. Mm-hmm. I know, in, I don't know what it's like in other offices, so I, I, I couldn't uh, speak on it. But when you come into KOD Lions you are given so much responsibility Mm. from the Mm. get-go that i'd say you'd nearly be able to work anywhere in the world after the kind of training that you would have gotten my first day in coyote lines was a monday i arrived at nine o'clock i was given 10 high court bail folders told to get my uh, arse out to clover hill <laughs> talk to the barristers and the guards and try and get these lads out it was their last chance and i was like what? no pressure like, there <laughs> <laughs> no pressure like, oh so. my
0: goodness well that is fantastic advice but i really think that's a great program that your your firm operates to give that hands-on experience it did not exist no. when i came out of co- college at all but um in terms of this this podcast and we always ask our guests the same question at the end around activism and you are you know an activist an activist lawyer for your clients and you know your your client base i guess in in general um you know what does that mean to you is it important to you know use the law as a tool to make change or to
2: absolutely I when, you, when you're working in criminal defence in particular, you come across some of the most vulnerable people in society. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of people with addictions. Um, there are people who are suffering with homelessness, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, these people sometimes aren't getting the help that they need from the state, which results in them becoming a statistic in a criminal justice system, mm-hmm. um, say particularly around juveniles. Gareth Noble in our office is doing a tremendous amount of work at the moment yeah. in relation to assessments and needs and how they're not being carried out in an adequate fashion and then once they are carried out, the treatments that are available our appointments are being booked two or three years in advance for these kids to get the help that they need unfortunately these people are becoming part of the criminal justice system and we find sometimes that we have to use the criminal justice system to get them the help that they need then going forward yeah, I, I, I think back to some of the cases that I've looked after where some children would have been in the care of the state Mm -hmm. and would have reached a threshold of secure care where they needed the highest level of care in the country. There's only 16 beds available for these children and on any given day of the week, there's 40 kids who need it, 30, 40 kids. Um, So you have children who are deemed to have reached that threshold, no bed available, what do we do with them? And then they get into trouble, they come into the criminal justice system and then they have to deal with that. Whereas if they were given the help that they needed originally, maybe that might not have happened. Maybe they wouldn't be, trying to deal with the initial problems that they're coping with mm-hmm. and then the criminal side of it as mm-hmm. well um and similarly like you know i talk a lot of my i talk to my friends and my friends go how can you defend these people how mm-hmm. can you you know represent such and such before the court for these type of offenses and the way i look at it is You're in a very lonely place when the machines of the state, the might of the state, is bearing down on you, accusing you of something. You need to have a defender in your corner uh, that will speak up for you and try and look after your interests as best as they can. And just because some people appear before the courts a lot doesn't mean that, you know, they don't deserve any help. It could be anybody any day of the week. Uh, My dad is from Kerry they have these Kerryisms and uh, he has a saying for everything but the one thing that sticks with me all the time is he says um it's the silk thread that'll pull you into a situation the chain of a ship's anchor won't get you out of (laughs) right yeah so some people who would have never been in trouble in their lives something could happen Mm -hmm. they could end up in trouble they need a bit of help and that's where we would come in and it doesn't even have to be something huge like say for example someone's driver's license if you pick up penalty points because of whatever road traffic offenses your license could be your livelihood yeah we'd have to come in and help if you're a young student who's studying in college you're caught with a small bit of drugs you appear before the courts if you get a drugs conviction that could be the end of your employment and travel opportunities and doors are closed to you so like these people also need defense it's not just the big people who've come in with hundreds of convictions those people unfortunately I would say have been failed by various services, be it addiction services, homeless services to have ended up at the stage where they're at. But it could be anybody any day of the week that needs a bit of help from a sure. defense lawyer and that's where we would come in.
0: Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, just um, such great, such eh? good advice and you can really see into to your work just from you speaking about how passionate you are about it and I guess I mean you have to have a level of, of passion to do what you do because it is intense. And you know, um really I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be really appreciative yeah. of you sharing that that with them. So well look, thank you so much, um, Owen, for coming all the way up to Fantastic. the Big Smoke of Mary. Yeah, smoke, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> really appreciate it and it's been lovely to to deal with um, some. You, you know, it sounds like a lovely office that you work in, and you know you've got great champions there. And um, you've mentioned a couple there, so it'll be great to maybe get everybody together at some stage yeah. for for an event or something with Activist Lawyer. But thank you so much for oh, taking your time today. No
2: problem. Thanks for having me.
0: Not at all.
1: This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio.